Thank God. I want you to open your Bibles today to the book of Luke. We, we just had a dedication. So I want to go back to another child dedication. In fact, this is when Jesus was dedicated to the Lord. The young baby, he had been circumcised, he'd been named, and now he was going to be dedicated to the Lord as the firstborn child. His parents traveled to Jerusalem to dedicate him to the Lord at the temple. Scripture says they offered two turtle doves, which tells us they might not have had as much uh, as far as livestock, probably because of where they were. Remember, they uh, had to go back to Bethlehem. They weren't from Bethlehem. They had to stay in a place because everything else was full. They had to stay in a place where the animals were kept. So they might not have had all their livestock with them. Because in the Old Covenant, it says that it tells you, it names some big beasts that you're supposed to sacrifice for your child dedication. But if you don't have it, at least you can have two turtle doves. You might have wondered where that, those two turtle doves came from the, from the 12 days of Christmas. That's where it comes from. In fact, the 12 days of Christmas, whoever that is got a lot of birds for Christmas, yeah? yeah. A lot of birds. But the turtle doves actually comes from the Bible. It was actually a provision in the Old Testament for, for poorer people who didn't have livestock. They could have two turtle doves. They gave an offering. And uh, Mary and Joseph uh, were certainly not in a position where they had all their livestock with them. Or, uh, you know, they're just starting out. They may not have had that much, but they, they did make sure that they had an offering for the Lord. And they brought Jesus to the temple. We've been going through the prophecies concerning Jesus in the Old Testament, concerning the birth of our Savior and I want to bring us to this point as we celebrate this last Sunday in this series, this last Sunday digging into the prophecies. And I wanted to bring us to a place of one of the last prophecies that's spoken over Jesus, which is actually a word that, first of all, that God gave to Simeon, but then a word that God gave through Simeon as Jesus was just a baby. And he says this in Luke chapter um, 2. In verse 21, when eight days had passed before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days for their purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. Stop for a moment and realize that we've been going through these prophecies of the Messiah. Watching how God was weaving a story throughout the whole history of mankind saying, I'm sending a Savior, I'm sending a Savior, I'm sending a Savior. Through many different voices and many different eras, he was painting a picture of redemption that was coming. And yet there were very few people who were actually waiting for it. But Simeon was one of these people. Anna was one of these people. There were people. The Magi were some of these people. There were people that were looking. And Simeon is an old man and he's not just righteous, but he's devout. 
And the proof of his righteousness and the proof of his devotion is that he's actually looking for what God has promised. The Bible says he's an old man. Simeon's about to tell us that this is the last thing God promised him. Not, not the last thing that he promised him, I'm sorry, but the last thing he'll see before he's ready to go. Can you imagine believing something all your life, waiting for it all your life, and the promise that you've been waiting for comes to you right before you die? How many of us would hang on that long? But Simeon did, and thank God he did. He says he was righteous, he was devout, he was looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And there was, a, goes on and it says, it was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he'd seen the Lord's Christ, or the Lord's Messiah. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you've prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of a revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rise of many in Israel, and for a sign to be opposed, and a sword will pierce even your own soul, to the end that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years and had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, serving night and day with fastings and prayers. At that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. Now, this is before the wise men have showed up. This is before Herod knows that there's a king that's been born. This is all before that. And in Jerusalem, nobody knows that this is the Messiah. Mary and Joseph did not waltz into Jerusalem going, hey, we got the king here. This is the one. This is the Messiah. They're not, in, they're not like talking about it. They're just bringing their child to the temple like any other child. And yet, Simeon, because he's been looking, because he's been expecting, the Spirit of God is on him. The Spirit of God is leading him. He comes up to the temple and he looks around and he knows exactly what he's looking at. Mary's not going around going, hey guys, I'm a virgin. Did you guys know I'm a virgin? This kid, miracle. Nobody's saying that. It's just a normal couple with a baby that don't look very kingly. Got a couple of turtle doves with them. There's nothing about them in the natural appearance that announces, here's your king, here's your Messiah. And yet Simeon recognizing, recognizes him immediately. Goes up to him and says, now I can finally die. <laughs> I hope nobody came to church today and is saying that. <laughs> yeah, I hope you get whatever the Lord has for you. But I just, I just want you to live a little longer. I don't want you to say, I'm ready to die. But Simeon did. He says, now you can release me. And he says, my eyes have seen your salvation. My eyes have seen your salvation. What's interesting about this is I believe that Simeon had seen the salvation of the Lord from afar off. 
all his life, but now he saw it with his own eyes. This is it. I've seen your salvation. You understand, Simeon did not live to the cross. He did not live to the resurrection. He didn't live to the day of Pentecost, but he lived to see that child. He understood something, that salvation was not just something God was going to do. Salvation was someone God was going to send. What was Jesus' name? The Lord saves. Yeshua, the Lord saves. The Lord is our salvation. Jesus didn't just come to bring salvation. Jesus came to be our salvation. He came to be salvation. Simeon looks at this kid that everybody else just thinks is a, is, a, is a regular baby. I don't know if Jesus was crying or laughing or nothing. But whatever. I mean, if you don't think that Jesus cried when he was hungry, like he just opened his mouth and prophesied, Mother, I thirst. Father, I have a great hunger. Oh, Mom and Dad, why hast thou forsaken me? No, he, he cried like another, like a regular baby. He cried when he went to the bathroom in his, in his what, swaddling clothes, whatever. <laughs> He's, he was a human being <laughs> that, that was fully God and fully man, but he might have been crying at the temple. We don't know. Someone's crying at the temple. It might have been Jesus. But Simeon sees salvation. Mm-hmm. Everybody else sees a baby. Simeon sees salvation. Anna runs up. You know, it does not say that Jesus is mobbed at the temple. It says Simeon was there, and I'm sure people turned around and looked, because this man, I don't think, whispered a prophecy. He's seeing what he's waited for all his life. I'm sure he made a scene. But Anna looks. Do you realize Anna's been coming to the temple every day, waiting for this? How do we know she was waiting for this? Well, I mean, she could have very well just come to the temple just to worship God. We know she'd been waiting for it because it says she went back to the group and continued to speak of him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. She's got a, a, a friend group here. She's got a bunch of people. She already knows the people in Jerusalem that are looking for this. You know, when you're really looking for what God's doing, when you have your eyes open, your ears open, you get to know the other people that are looking too, don't you? Because there's something different about people that actually are believing that God will keep his word. There's something different about people that are living their life in expectation that God will fulfill his promises. And though I don't see it at the moment, I see it with my eyes of faith. I see it with my heart. It's, it's, it's just as real now as when I'll see it with my physical eyes. Anna goes... She runs to the the child and she comes and takes a look for herself. These are two very old people. Oh, how we wish sometimes that we could see everything that was promised in our teen years. That we could spend the rest of our life just talking about it. But Anna and Simeon had been waiting all their lives. And this was the happiest day of their lives. It's ironic. I don't know how long Simeon lived after this. I don't think you live long. I find that old people that just decide they want to go tend to go. But with some exceptions. <laughs> My grandma wanted to go to heaven and she was like mad at us because she thought we hadn't let her go. <laughs> it got to the point she's telling the nurses, why haven't you released me yet? And we said, Mima, I don't think they're keeping you on the planet. 
she gets, she gets her meal. She goes, I just want to go see Jesus. She would close her eyes and go, bye, goodbye. And she'd close her eyes and go to sleep. She'd wake up, open one eye. Just, <laughs> I just looked ticked off to see us. And mom's with her when she, her lunch comes and nurse brings her lunch. And she, she's just baffled as why she's still around. Nurse brings her lunch and she begins to pray over it and says, I, I thank you, Lord, that you remove sickness from my body, that I live a long life, that you <laughs> satisfy me, I live and not die. Mima, do you realize what you're praying right now? <laughs> well, I think Simeon went. I think this is the last thing he wanted to see. I think, he, I think the Lord had preserved him for this moment. He said, now you're releasing me to, to, to go in peace. The la- one of the last things he ever sees in his life is the thing he's been waiting for all his life. We've talked about this before, but it takes great faith. Abraham had it. Joseph had it. Moses had it. These men of faith, as you look through Hebrews 11, the men and women of faith looked ahead and saw something and considered it their reward even though they didn't see it with their physical eyes. Jesus said, Abraham saw my day and rejoiced. Joseph, Hebrews 11 says, Joseph, by faith, gave instructions concerning his bones that when they go to the promised land, you take my bones with you. Mm-hmm. Moses looked over and saw into the promised land, even though his feet wouldn't tread in those, those ground himself, that ground himself. He saw it and he considered it his reward just to know that it's coming. This man had waited all his life to see salvation and he saw it. My eyes have seen salvation. Jesus, like I said, did not just bring us salvation. Jesus was salvation. Jesus is salvation. We have to know that that a lot of times we talk about salvation and we think of one thing. I'm not going to hell. And thank God for it. Praise God. That's a big thing. That's reason to celebrate every day of your life. Jesus saved you from death. And yet we know that that salvation is, is just as much about right now as it is about the time where your body quits breathing. Right now, I've been saved. I've been taken out of darkness. I've been brought into light. I've been taken out of the, the kingdom of darkness, the domain of darkness, and I've been brought into his kingdom. I've been saved. You know, that word salvation is used throughout the New Testament to talk about the saving of your soul, to talk about uh, uh, someone who was sick being healed. Jesus said it several times. He said, your faith has saved you. It says in the book of James that if you're sick and you can't get out of bed, you can't come to church, he says, call for the elders of the church. And he says, they will pray for you. They'll lay hands on you. They'll anoint you with oil. And the prayer of faith will save the sick. Mm-hmm. It talks about salvation in the sense of being delivered from oppression. So salvation is about being saved from hell. But it's about being saved from every trace of the curse mm-hmm. that so dominated us that Jesus is our salvation. What does salvation mean? It means rescue. So I've been rescued, I am rescued, and yet I will be rescued. As Paul said, Paul said we were delivered, we're being delivered, and we will yet be delivered. And he was talking about getting, getting delivered from the Romans, chopping his head off until the time came where he was ready to go. In your life, you've experienced salvation, but you, you also need to see that Jesus is salvation. 
If you weren't here on Wednesday night, I encourage you to go back and listen to that message because we talked about the eyes that we need to see, the ears we need to hear, and the hearts that need to be open so we understand. We talked about the fact that Jesus is not a place. God is not a place. Jesus is a person. God is a being. So, so we're not talking about something that's always static. Now, the Lord is our rock. The Lord is our fortress. The Lord is, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But that doesn't mean you go to the last place you saw him. Right? He says, my sheep will follow me because they know my voice. And Jesus says to the people when he stands over them, and he, he's just said a parable that people didn't understand. And they went home going, I didn't get it. But his disciples followed him. The, the large crowd of disciples followed him, more than the 12. They followed him and they said, what, what did you mean by that parable? And Jesus said, it's been granted to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to them they won't know. Because he says, in their case, the prophecy is fulfilled. Seeing, you won't see, you won't perceive Hearing, you won't really hear. And with your hearts, you barely understand. He says, because you've closed your eyes. He says, your ears have become dull and your hearts have become hard. He talks about a process of your ears slowly shutting off. Your eyes slowly closing. Your hearts slowly going harder. He talks about this process that's happened to the people he's preaching to. And he says, otherwise, now listen to this. Otherwise, you'd see with your eyes. You'd hear with your ears. You'd understand with your heart. And you would turn and I would heal you. Look what he says. When you turn to me, I heal you. Healing comes in the presence of the king. But the presence of the king is not one place where you just think, you know, last time, this is where I had an experience with God over here, you know, five years ago. I think I'll just do the exact same thing. How does he say? He says, listen to my voice. Listen to me and turn towards me. We hear his voice and we turn to face him. And when we turn, we turn from whatever we've been looking at. How many times, and we talked about this on Wednesday, how many times throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament does he say, behold, 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 look, over here, look. Look, 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 look. Behold, God, the, 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 the most massive, uh, transcendent being there is, bigger than big, is saying to us, look over here. How easily we were distracted. Look over here. How many times does he say, how many times does Jesus say? He says it seven times in the first three chapters of Revelation. He says, let he who has an ear... Hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Jesus said it throughout his ministry in the Gospels. Let he who has an ear, let them hear. What, what's he saying? Hey, listen, listen. He's telling you to listen. And Jesus weeps over Jerusalem. He says, if you'd only known, if you'd only known the things which would have made for peace. He says, how I wished I could have gathered you like a mother hen gathers her chicks. But now, all of these things have been hidden from your eyes. And he says, your enemies will lay barricades against you. And they'll, they'll lay siege against you. Because you missed the day of your visitation. See, not everybody was like Simeon. There was a large group of people. Salvation stood in front of them. And they didn't recognize salvation. Jeremiah says, how cursed, how blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. He says he'll be like a tree whose roots extend to a stream in Jeremiah 17, who even when the heat comes, 
you won't, you won't feel the heat. You won't, you won't dry up. You won't die. But even when the heat comes, your roots extend to that stream and you flourish. But he says, how cursed is a man who puts his trust in flesh, in the arm of humanity. He says, he'll be like a bush in the desert who will not even see when prosperity comes. Won't see it, just will miss it. Why? Salvation is never going to smack you upside the head and drag you in a direction. How did salvation come throughout, this, throughout history? God announced it and we turned and looked. Mm-hmm. Right? All we've been looking for the last four, four weeks is the Lord saying, I'm sending you a savior. Look for me. Look at me. I'm your savior. I'm your salvation. Look at me. This is what Simeon was doing. He heard, he believed, he looked. Anna heard, believed, she looked. They turned towards the Lord and they were saved. Jesus said, if you'd hear, if you'd see, if you'd understand, if you would see with your eyes, if you'd open your eyes, if you'd open your ears, if you'd open your hearts, you would see, you would hear, then you would turn and I would heal you. I would save you from whatever is oppressing you. I would restore you. This is the heart of God is to save. It's so much the heart of God that when God became a person, when God became humanity, when he put on skin and bones, he calls himself salvation. He could have named himself something else, couldn't he? Mary did not come up with the name. Joseph didn't come up with the name. In fact, Joseph has a dream and an angel says, you will call him Jesus. For, I, for it is he who will save the people from their sins. God could have come to the earth and called his name Elohim, the mighty God. Could have come to earth and called this baby the king. But he doesn't. When he puts on humanity, he calls himself salvation. I've come to save you. I've come to be your salvation. Jesus is as much our salvation today as he was then. You have been saved. You will yet be saved. There's a salvation that's already taken place. That's finished, that's accomplished, that's final. And yet, we are walking through life still needing the salvation of the Lord in every area, right? You need rescue, right? In a time of trouble, what do you need? I need rescue. In a time of victory, what do I need? I need, I need the Lord's hand on me. I need the Lord to, to, to strengthen me in that time. I need him to guide me, to lead me. In a time of sickness, what do I need? I need his salvation. I need his healing. In all of these things, we need him just as much as we've ever needed him. He said, without me, you can't do anything, but through me, all things are possible. Do we understand that he is your rescuer? He's your deliverer. He is still who he was. Will you see? The question is not, is he salvation? Is salvation here? Am I waiting for salvation? The question is, will you see it? The bush in the desert, it says in Jeremiah 17, prosperity came, but he missed it. Jesus came. Most of the Jews missed it. Most of the people in the temple did not see Salvation, they saw a young couple with some birds and a baby. 
those that were looking saw salvation. Why were they looking? Because they heard and they turned to face what they heard. The Lord is still announcing his salvation. Paul says this, he says, you know, he's encouraging the people to stop waiting for a day that's coming. He says, today is the day of salvation. This is it. We're not waiting, saying, oh man, one of these days the Lord's going to send revival. You know, it's here. Like the Lord said to us years ago, what would you do if there were revival? Oh, I'd probably shout. I'd probably dance. I'd probably tell everybody about Jesus. Okay, go do that. Who's stopping you from doing that? Are you expecting that God will force you and treat you like a marionette? Like Pinocchio in the first half of the movie and make you do these things? Or are you expecting that he's already given you everything you need? Right? Mm -hmm. So here we are. And I want you to see something he says in Revelation that's so powerful. He says salvation belongs to our God. He owns the right to salvation. He's the only one that will ever save you. There's a, a brilliant chapter in the Bible. I won't go into it. But Isaiah mocks the idolaters. He just, he just straight up mocks them. If you don't think God is capable of some good, just, just some good mocking, <laughs> read some of Job, read some of Isaiah, read some of Jeremiah. Sorry, Jeremiah talks about this a lot too. But there's a place in the scripture where he goes, you know, there was a group of Israelites who had turned aside and, and taken on the idolatry of their neighbors. And they'd gone out into the woods. They chopped down trees and they made gods out of them. And he goes, you go out into the forest. You chop down a tree. You carve a face on it. With half of the tree, you carve a face on it and you call it God. With the other half, you make a fire to keep you warm. He goes, is it any wonder this God doesn't do anything for you? Right? He says like, and, and he goes, and he, he really drives the point home. To like, he could have gone easier on them and just stopped teasing them, but he keeps going. Like Elijah on the mountain, perhaps your God, it literally says in the Bible, I'm not making it up. He literally says, maybe your God's relieving himself right now. Yeah. <laughs> maybe he's relieving himself. Maybe it's bathroom break. I don't know why he's not showing up. So God goes in on him. He says, like, don't you realize you made this thing? Of course it's not helping you. You made it. He says, is there any other rock? Then he says, I know of none. Mm -hmm. And yet we're always looking for something to hang on to. Humanity is looking for something to grab onto. Maybe this politician that we elected will save us. No. Maybe this will fix it. Maybe this will, will, will fix all the problems. No, it won't. Maybe this is the one thing I have stable in my life. Finally, I have a job that I like. It looks like it's going to be around for a while. It's not your rock. God may be using that for a season, like just, just you know, using that job to provide for you, but he will always be your provider. Whether that job goes or not, you will have provision in God. He's your rock. He says, is there any other rock? I don't know of any. Salvation belongs to our God. Because salvation is Jesus. And when we turn to him, when we hear his voice, we turn and we look and we say, where? ah, there you are. When we turn to him, we're healed. When we turn to him, we're restored. I want to read you something that the psalmist 
David says in Psalm 60, Psalm 68. Psalm 68 verse 17 says, The chariots of God are myriads, thousands upon thousands. Myriads could be translated twice 10,000. Thousands upon thousands. The Lord is among them as at Sinai in holiness. You have ascended on high. You have led captive. Your captives. Of course, the New Testament tells us that this is referring to Jesus. Right? It says this in Ephesians that, that the gifts that he gave were not... A treasure chest full of, you know, shiny things. But rather, the gifts that he gave were the works of the Spirit within us. The grace of God in us. And he says this. He says, you have led captive your captives. You receive gifts among men. Even among the rebellious also that the Lord God may dwell there. Blessed be the Lord who daily bears our burden. The God who is our salvation. See, the problem with idolatry is you're looking to a God to give you salvation. But when we're looking to Yahweh, when we're looking to the true God, when we're looking to Jesus, we look to the God who is salvation. We realize God, it's not about, it's not about something he's going to do or something he's going to give, although he'll do both of those things. The reality is salvation is him. He's salvation. And everything that's necessary is in him. In Colossians, the, the church was bombarded with people that were um, convincing these believers, especially new believers, that there was a secret wisdom, that you had to come to their special school and learn what they knew because they knew something that no one else knew. There was a hidden wisdom that they knew because they were in the club. Paul says, don't you know that all the treasures, of, hidden treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ? Don't you know that all the fullness of God dwelt in him in bodily form and in him you've been made full? What a powerful statement. He says Jesus was full of God. There was nothing of God that was not in Jesus. All the fullness of God. He doesn't say he was full of God. He said all the fullness of God was in him. You know, you could be full of something and there's still more that they could pour into you, right? I could have a glass full of water and still have water in the water bottle. But he doesn't say he was full. He says all the fullness of God, everything God was, was in Jesus. Dwelt in him in bodily form. And in him, you've been made full. I'm full of Jesus. And Jesus was full of everything God was. He's filled me with himself. What more do I need? He says, in him is all the treasures. So he says here, blessed be the Lord who daily, daily, every day the Lord is for you. Every day his salvation is, is, is made known to us. If you're looking. We, we often miss the, 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 the escape. We often miss the rescue. We often miss the deliverance. We miss what God has sent to save when, when we're just looking at the wrong things or we're distracted or we're, our ears are closed, our eyes are closed. Here's what we need to do. We need to hear. We need to see what is God saying. 
when you hear what you see, and, and, and we said this on Wednesday night, how do I know that I'm like one of those people who really had an ear to hear? How do I know that I had an ear to hear? I mean, I show up to church, but so did the crowds. So did the guy who built his house on the sand. I listened to the message, but so did those guys. How do I know if I have an ear to hear? I would tell you, here's what I believe. That Jesus says the evidence of you having an ear to hear is that it turns you. How do you know that you're hearing? Because when you hear his voice, it'll turn you. It'll turn things in your life. It'll turn your heart to face him. If you're seeing turning in your life, you're seeing in every area he's turning you towards him through his word, through his voice, through the things that you see, through the things that you are, are walking, he, you're seeing Jesus work. You're hearing his voice and you're responding to it. Your heart is turning. Your heart is quick to turn because Jesus is not static. He is alive. So how will you know where, how will you know how to look at Jesus? Listen to his voice. Here he is. Here's salvation. What did David say in another psalm? When he needed salvation, when he needed rescue, he said, I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from you. That's a theme all through scripture that when you need salvation, you lift your eyes and you look for it. Because if you're not looking for it, you'll miss the ride. I'm not talking about missing heaven. I'm talking about right here, right now, he is your salvation. Are you looking for it? Are you expecting it? Jesus says when all these signs happen and it looks like it's the end and everybody else is freaking out, you lift up your eyes and be of good cheer. Lift up your eyes because your redemption is coming. Look, be ready, be expectant. Have your lamps full of oil. He says this and finish this in Psalm 68. Blessed be the Lord God who daily bears our burden. The Lord God who is our salvation. Selah. God is to us a God of deliverances. Don't you love that that's plural? A God of deliverances. And maybe you've experienced this in your life. Over and over and over, he comes through. Over and over and over, he rescues. Over and over and over, like Paul said, he has delivered me. He is delivering me. He will yet deliver us. I know, he says in Philippians, that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Holy Spirit. I know that my God has not turned his face. I know that my God hasn't turned his back because I hear him, I see him, and when I turn, he's looking at me. Salvation is here. Salvation lives with us. Salvation came. Salvation is right here. He's here. Now there is a salvation to come. Right? It's just like we know that there's a redemption that's already come and yet the scripture says we're looking forward to a redemption when we get these new bodies, when we cast off these earthly bodies and we are, we're given a glorified body. We know that there's an adoption to come. We've already been adopted. It says we've received the spirit of adoption but then he goes on and says we will yet be adopted. The fullness of our adoption is going to come when he comes and receives his church but it's here, it's now and it's coming. God is to us a God of deliverances. I love this. And to God the Lord belong escapes from death. So King David wasn't just some, like I've said this before, he wasn't just some hippie poet imagining what it'd be like to be in a battle. When he wrote this stuff, he lived through it. He'd been narrowly rescued from death. 
Here's a guy whose coming out party was basically, I mean, coming out as king. Yeah. <laughs> Don't get the wrong idea. His coming out party was basically chopping a giant's head off. It's a little weird because nobody actually asked him to chop his head off. I think he just went above and beyond. <laughs> Imagine carrying that head in. Hey, who asked you to do that? <laughs> Whoa, this teenager's on fire. <laughs> but he'd been rescued from death. And he said, God... To him alone belongs escape from death. He might have used my mighty men. He might have used my friends, but it was God rescuing me. See, God uses different methods to, to rescue you, to deliver you. He'll use different people. Why is it important that you see it was God doing the rescuing and not just the person? It's important to thank the people. It's important to recognize that. But it's important to see that it was God behind it because if you don't see it was God, you'll look to the same people to rescue you. If you know it was God, you'll look to God the next time. God used one method here. He can use a different method here. The point's not how he did it. The point is that he was the one that did it. Surely God will shatter the head of his enemies, the hairy crown, the hairy crown of him who goes on, his, in, on in his guilty deeds. I just want to stop there and think about the Lord, our salvation. First and foremost, I want to thank God for saving my life, rescuing me from death. I want to thank God for saving me from the penalty and the bondage of my own sin. I want you to know today that every one of you here is qualified and eligible for God to save you from the same fate. Because he died for the sinner. Because he died for all of us. Because he said, when I be lifted up on that cross, I will draw all of humanity to myself. In fact, it says in the scripture, all eyes will see my salvation. Right. All eyes will see it, just not all eyes will recognize it. Right? Yeah. All of humanity will see my salvation, but not all of humanity will know what they're looking at. I want to thank God for saving me, but I also want to thank God that he will continue to rescue to deliver, to restore, to heal. For the rest of my life, I look to him. For the rest of my life, in a time of trouble, I'll lift my eyes and know that salvation is here. I won't doubt it. I won't wonder, will God come through this time? Is he gonna come? Is he gonna help me? Because he always will. He already has. He's done everything. So why would I doubt now? When there's times where you look you look to the road, because last time he helped me, he came in on Highway 16 East. But he didn't say he was coming in on Highway 16 East. He just said, I'm coming. Mm -hmm. We need to have ears to hear. Yes. Do you know, when you show up on a Sunday morning like this, my expectation, if I were in your shoes, I'd, I'd, hope, I'd, I'd set my heart in the same way. My expectation is that the Lord's going to say something through his word that I need to hear. And when he does, I'm going to recognize it. And when he does, I'm going to turn towards it. That's why we preach out of the Bible and not just the thoughts of our opinions of a preacher. Because when God speaks through his word, there'll be 12 different people today that 
that really got something different. And I know that because they come up and tell you. It was great how you talked about this. And you go, huh, I guess so. There'll be times I'm surprised. Well, yeah, I guess, I, I guess that's what, oh, cool. That, you know, God is bringing different things out from different people. Mm-hmm. And if you have ears to hear, you'll hear him. Yeah. He says, if you hear me, if you see me, if you understand what I'm saying, here's what's going to happen. You don't understand because you're smart. You understand because your heart's open. Mm-hmm. And he said, if you have ears to hear and if you have eyes to see, then you'll hear, you'll see, you'll understand, and you will turn, and I will heal you. This is what I'll do. I will heal you. Jesus says the result of our turning, the result of our hearing and seeing is our turning, and the result of our turning is our healing. But we're healed when we look at Jesus. We sang that song earlier, so we look to the sun. I don't know if you notice, I don't give a sermon outline to Naomi or to the rest of the present worship leaders. I don't give them a sermon outline before church. Sometimes I don't even know exactly what we're talking about when I show up. I, I, I don't think, I can't remember ever telling them this is what I'm going to say. But somehow, whatever songs they pick are so prophetically lined up with what we're talking about. I'm amazed. Every Sunday, I've looked back at this whole thing that we've been doing, and every Sunday, we've sang songs that directly lined up with what we're talking about. Well, that's just the Spirit of God. But we, we sang, so we look to the sun, set our eyes on the Savior. Right? We set our eyes on the Savior. We're saved. Peter was oafish and brutish and all those things, but he was brave. And I'd rather be oafish and brutish and and say a little bit too much and be brave than be quiet and elegant and dignified and hold back in the day of battle. At least Peter said, Lord, if it's you, let me come out. When he took his eyes off Jesus, he became afraid, began to sink. Sometimes we miss one of the most salient points in the whole story. Jesus was close enough to grab him. Yes. Just grabbed him, picked him up. All Peter had to do was call out on the name of the Lord. As long as he looked at Jesus, salvation was there. Look upon the Savior. Salvation is not a place, it's not a thing. It can be a thing, but more than anything, it's a person. Salvation is always in Jesus. And as long as you're looking at Jesus, you will see the salvation of the Lord with your own eyes. Hold tight to it. May you've been holding on to it longer than you think is fair, but hold tight to it. The longer you've held, the the, the, the more you've had to fight that battle, the greater the victory will be. Hold tight. Hang on. Lift up your eyes and look to the direction that you heard his voice because he's coming. He is a savior who always lives to save. Stand with me today. Let's praise the Lord together.